it's a long week um because of the heat the heat was uh insane Unbelievable. it was yeah. yeah absolutely insane um so yeah just like tried to keep my children alive mhm like you, our... you kept them both yes. alive yes great um we went swimming a lot like our house like the main floor of our house would get to 30 degrees by mid afternoon. The upstairs was completely uninhabitable. Like it was in the mid 30 or sorry, it was like 33 or something upstairs. Right. So we couldn't sleep there. So we slept in the basement. We went swimming like as often as we could. We went to the spray deck daily once it cooled down a bit in the evening, but yeah. Um, most of once the, it wasn't a risk of like having your, the, your skin burn off from the sun. Yeah, exactly. Like 30 yeah. seconds. Yeah. Yeah. And it's an interesting food. So we don't have AC, obviously. Um, Right. And so I like, before the heat wave, I did a bunch of cooking in advance. Things that like could be made and kept in the fridge and served cold, like potato salad and like cold, like grain salads and pasta salad. (laughs) um, But then like what cooking I did, I did on the barbecue. And even things like, like baked biscuits on the barbecue. I was thinking before when you were, when when you were saying that it was thir- it was so hot because it was thirty degrees in your house. I was yeah. just like imagining all of our American listeners being like, "Oh my god, what did he say? House, house, <laughs> and it was thirty degrees. That's freezing." Yeah, hi Americans. <laughs> I can't do the conversions. It was a hundred and <laughs> yeah, I don't know what 30 is either. I, I we shouldn't even dignify there. the Fahrenheit system by doing the conversion. Welcome to food court. I'm Shale McDonald and I'm here with my co-host Alan Sutterby. Oh. We're two chefs from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. We love food and we love to talk about it. We ate some oysters together. Actually, we saw each other in person. That was pretty amazing. Yeah, that was the first time in um, eight months, maybe, that we've seen each other in person. Yeah, I did come to your place for a masked, socially distanced gathering at some point, like quite a while ago. I think in September. So yeah, maybe even more than eight months. It had been a while, and it was nice. We sat on your front porch. I like your street; it's nice and quiet. And well, I guess the birds are kind of loud, but <laughs> but that's fun. The to birds talk and about, the so. there's a, maybe this didn't happen. Maybe there was no nuisances uh, when you were there. But like we do live one block away from a fire hall, and two or three oh. blocks away from a helicopter landing pad. So oh really? Yeah, like at the U of A hospital, the Stars oh, Air ambulance. Yeah. Uh, lands on the top of crazy the Mazinkowski building or something I also live right by a helicopter landing pad oh really yeah I think it's the yeah the Edmonton police service has a helicopter and I'm pretty sure I don't know if it's where it where they I don't know if it's hangar is there or what the deal is Mm -hmm. but some it, it lands somewhere around where the old municipal airport used to be oh is that right okay yeah. Yeah. And um yeah, so a lot of times late at night 
um, I hear it landing and taking off oh, really? from nearby. <laughs> and then it likes to hang out above my neighborhood too, which is, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. One time in, uh, when I was in university, uh, living in a basement in McKernan, actually, um, mm-hmm. I was woken up by the police helicopter seemed to be like spending a lot of time right over our street or something. So I woke up and right. I looked out our window and the the searchlight was in our backyard. <laughs> like oh the God. helicopter was shining its searchlight into our backyard. Like it was going back and forth along our garage and then into the alley. And then, <laughs> so I was, I was hoping that like someone like dressed like a, a robber, like with a mask and <laughs> cap on was going to like start, you know, scooching along the wall and evade the light. Yeah. And, but. I feel like I would have been hoping for the opposite, <laughs> that there wasn't some kind of criminal yeah. in my backyard. But it's, and then it was like you were in Goodfellas. Exactly. Like, you mean doing cocaine and thinking a helicopter is following you around or? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. And then, and then like yelling at your wife and telling her to flush all your cocaine down the toilet. Right. And, then... and the Rolling Stones are playing. Yep. Yeah. Uh, do we have any follow-up from our previous episode, which aired two weeks ago uh, as this episode airs? See, Alan, I got it right. Two <laughs> weeks, not one week. <laughs> I Yeah, I had, I had a piece of follow-up. Um, I did some pretty heavy research for it, actually. Um, we When we were talking about John Favreau's movie Chef, and... Um, I was really interested in the cat video that the son was watching. Oh yeah. Oh um, my God. Really? You researched I, it? Yeah. So I, I wondered, oh my God. I wondered I aloud wait to hear this. Uh, I wondered aloud in that recording if it was a pre-existing video uh, that they just put into the movie or if it was made for the movie. Mm-hmm. And it turns out it's actually like one, <laughs> one of the most famous internet videos of all time made by one of the most popular YouTube video producers of all time. Oh, a, a guy named Freddie Wong. Okay. I think I've heard of him. I don't know. He's if done a I've lot. Seen any of his He's videos. done a lot of stuff. He was like really? a competitive uh, video gamer and he, yeah, does special effects and comedy videos and like, yeah, all, all kinds of stuff. Um, oh, but he had a channel. I think, I think maybe I know who you're talking oh, about. Oh, really? You, yeah. You've probably, like, I am, well, I'm not embarrassed, but like, I was surprised that I didn't. I recognize some of the content that he's made and I just didn't know the name. Um, but he had a channel called rocket jump, which has like 10 million subscribers or something. Like it's a very popular channel. Okay. Um, and there's, he did a video called, um, medal of honor cat. And it's, <laughs> so yeah, the clip, the, the, this the, from medal of yeah, honor the cat. military, um, video that Percy is watching where a cat is machine gunning, bad guys um is medal of honor cat and it uh you should just watch it i won't like i will definitely watch it actually i just i just googled freddie wong and yeah i do know who he is he i i don't i i haven't like directly watched a bunch of his stuff Mm -hmm. but he used to make videos and still does sometimes i think with um some other youtube youtube filmmakers that i do follow okay they're called the corridor corridor crew okay and that's the kind of stuff that they do it's like special effects videos but just like short weird um like funny yeah takes on what you could do with special effects if you weren't trying to make a big serious yes you know (laughs) 
multi-million dollar budgeted movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, and some of the stuff is hilarious. They have this series of videos called something reloads, and it's like they're they're like reloading their they're in gunfights but they're like reloading their guns in like really hilarious ways like throwing clips up in the air and then turning their guns upside down and bouncing <laughs> right. their clips off like back basketball backboards right. and crap yeah like it's, it's really <laughs> yeah tactical reloads is that what it is i think maybe okay yeah yeah, yeah. it's uh and yeah. actually he has a he has a video that john favreau is in um so i don't know their, oh really their buds or what but oh cool it's kind of like a parody of uh cowboys versus aliens sweet Oh, right. Another John Favreau movie. Is that what? Yeah. He directed Cowboys versus Aliens. Oh, are you serious? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, I had no idea. I didn't think that was his thing at all. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. It seems really weird. And and like, yeah, I don't know. He's he's got, he had like a weird, varied career. Mm-hmm. Like, um, yeah, I, I don't know. He's kind of been all over the map. And I think that really helped him develop a lot of different skills and Mm -hmm. you know now he's running huge stuff for disney all over the place so i mean i guess i guess it put him in a pretty pretty good position yeah like did you know that he directed the jungle book and the lion king like the live action remakes for (laughs) disney no this i'll tell you everything that i knew about john favreau before this conversation uh he was in swingers he was on friends Mm -hmm. And he did the movie Chef. That's what I knew about him. Oh, really? He yeah. was on Friends. Yeah, he dated he, he dated Monica. <laughs> oh, Do you remember? Cool. No, no, I, I'm I'm not like I I've seen a fair few episodes of Friends. Like I used to catch it like oh. when it was on. Yeah, but I haven't actually like. If I'm being perfectly honest, like. I feel like the humor sort of worked for me when that show was airing, mm-hmm. but now I find it like really dull. Oh yeah. No, fair enough. Like I, yeah. I have not revisited it since it was, you know, like on syndicated reruns. Um, right. Sorry. When I was in high school, I mean, um, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, I really liked it when I was, I really liked it in the nineties. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I, I liked it well enough in the nineties for sure to, you know, like that I thought it was a, a funny show right um but yeah like go like i don't really understand the contemporary obsession with it uh, to me yeah. it just seems like um like all of the jokes have been like copied and recopied and recopied like yeah when it when it came out i think it had a lot of original humor but i think it just got like you know pulled apart for every little piece of original humor that it had in it and and that got turned into like a whole genre of like other sitcoms and stuff and, oh really and now when you go back and look at it it just feels like to me super dated the humor seems super dated but you're but. saying that it was very influential yeah oh, i yeah. think so hmm. yeah well monica dates john favreau for one episode he's a wealth well i <laughs> seems like they both have great taste then <laughs> Um, yeah. So yeah, John Favreau is like a, a, is, is like big time. He, so he, he did all this stuff for Disney. Mm -hmm. Um, and then now he's the showrunner or like the, the, the main creator for, uh, the Mandalorian TV series. Oh, really? Which is like a Star Wars TV series. Yeah. He like created that. I had no idea. And it's doing really well. Oh, yeah, yeah. And like a lot of the technology that they use to be able to do 
the special effects and stuff that they do. This is like obviously not about food. It seems like we're getting a little <laughs> off topic here, but <laughs> and I'm not promising that I'm going to bring it back around. I'm just going to go on a tangent about John Favreau. <laughs> um, but but yeah, he um, a lot of the technology that they use to make that TV show look like a movie, but on the budget of a TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, was invented or like I mean not was sort of like researched and brought together by him um, to make uh, the live action versions of Jungle Book and The Lion King Mm -hmm. and he sort of like through making those two movies came up with this um, this set of technologies that he put together to make The Mandalorian that, that makes it possible for them to do it like on a TV budget really and for them to make like a whole season of a TV show that's like 10 hours, um, you know, within the span of a year mm-hmm. rather than like a big budget movie, which would be like, you know, potentially two and a half hours worth of content made over three years or something. Right. I see. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Cool. So, yeah, John Favreau, big time. And actually, like how he sort of like got launched initially um, was because he was he directed Iron Man. Okay, like that's how his yeah. career sort of like took off big time with Disney. Yeah, okay. Is he directed the first Iron Man movie, and that basically jump started the whole Marvel cinematic I universe. Yeah. I didn't know. Honestly, Swingers, Friends, Chef—that's what I do. That's crazy. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, so I'm a fan. I yeah, I think he does great work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think I said this in the last video. I'm not. I'm not sure about how great a human he is. Maybe he's a really good human. I, I don't really right. know too much about him personally. But but yeah, like as far as his uh, skill set goes and the stuff that he works on, it's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. So you, yeah, you just had that one piece of follow up. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that is prob- that. That's a way better piece of follow up than mine because uh, the um, that cat commando was like the best thing. <laughs> ever in that movie yeah um but i also uh did a little bit of research alan and i found a 12 dollar hotel pan wasn't it three dollars uh didn't you say i think originally i said three oh and then you backed down then i think i i yeah i I don't exactly remember how it went down and i should because i listened to it like six times while i was editing it but but I don't. Um, so I think what happened is, yeah, originally I said three. <laughs> then I backed down. I said, but I bet I could find one that's 12 oh, okay. bucks. And I think you were still skeptical. Uh, uh, is it on Webstaurant? Yeah, it is yeah, on okay, Webstaurant. Cool, yeah. um, and, and, it's, and it's like under 12 US. So, I mean, you know, the movie was shot in the States. <laughs> okay, <so>. okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's 1149. I mean, um for it, it is a stainless steel hotel pan and it is the correct size yeah. it's like a full-size hotel pan um and i believe the one in the in the movie that we, that we're that we were talking about is a four inch deep hotel pan okay. and yeah 11.49 if you purchase in groups of 12 <laughs> <laughs> i'm I would disqualify it just if it's in American dollars, to be honest. But like, <laughs> yeah, honestly, I didn't dig that hard, though. I think I think I probably could have found something that was okay. That was less. Tomorrow, I'm gonna call um, because I'm sure, like, yeah, on on Webstaurant or like a website like that, I'm sure you could find a good price. But like in the showroom of a restaurant supplier, it's probably twice that, right? Oh yeah, yeah okay, <laughs> for sure. 
and it's going to take you two and a half hours for them to grab right. it from the yeah. warehouse. <laughs> and your time is worth more than that, Alan. At some point, we should do an episode where I can rant about how bad it is trying to go to a restaurant supply store and, and like pick things up. It's <laughs> one of my favorite rants. It's, uh, it could be, oh, actually, you know what? That could be a topic. Like, if you make it a little broader, like you can talk about the restaurant suppliers and I can talk about picking up something from uh, the back door at the Italian center or something. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, that's another good one. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Going, going to like your independent food supplier and, and like walking into their warehouse and, yeah. and trying to pick up something that you ordered already and that they say that they have on hand for you yeah. and you have to like track down the person who knows where it is. Oh my God. Such an adventure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And meanwhile, like, you know, that back at the kitchen where you are <laughs> now not on hand to supervise things that things are just going off the rails and, <laughs> and you already, and you're already short on time and yeah. you're there because of a food emergency yeah <laughs> it's the best yeah <laughs> oh what a life <laughs> um yeah so anyways you can get a cheap hotel okay. maybe not three bucks but I still would have thrown out that whole, t- the, the whole thing. But just like, I know it's, it's different when you're the owner and it's your money and stuff, but like, cause you have to pay someone to clean the pan, but like mm-hmm. throwing out, I don't know. It's so wasteful. Like it's, you're sending it to the landfill for no reason. Mm, yeah, that's I fair. Know. I mean, yeah, that, that's true <laughs> for sure. It's, it's bad bad i'm not denying it's bad alan like if you get to the point where it's like yeah you're you're doing that calculus where it's like this cam is going to take 45 minutes to clean this cambro and the cost of the labor to do that cleaning is higher than the value of the cambro so we're going to put this piece of plastic in the landfill for 500 years to de- decompose like that's okay I, don't know. I mean it's like okay we weren't talking about a plastic cambro we were talking about a cheap stainless steel hotel pan. Okay. So, I mean, it's a little bit different. This is, I don't it, think that I would throw out a plastic camera. Because of the environmental thing or? And because they're more expensive. Oh, okay. <laughs> like both of those things. Yeah. Like yeah. the environmental issue and yeah, and they're they're like way more expensive and way more harmful. I think like you put that stainless steel hotel pan in the landfill, it's probably like doing a good job of helping fill the land. <laughs> I mean, it's like nice and strong. It's probably, you know, who knows? Maybe, a, I don't know, maybe an animal's going to use it as a roof for their house. Oh. I don't know. <laughs> Is that how that works? Is, uh, was there, other, was there any other follow-up? Uh, no, I think that's it. <laughs> Let's get off the topic of throwing out the hotel pan. Uh, you just can't bear to talk about it anymore. Okay, that's fair. Let's move on. What else do you want to talk about? Um, well, we have a topic for this episode. Um, I'm not quite sure what to call it. Um, I mean, it's a game of overrated, underrated. Yeah. Is, is what it really is. It's going to focus on uh, kind of like what? Luxury ingredients and fine di- like elements of fine dining. Is that right? Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Luxury ingredients and yeah, potentially 
potentially um, upscale um, meal experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think a fun idea would be to sort of like go back and forth and kind of just do it rapid fire. Yeah. And then, you know, and, you know, like in overrated, underrated, um, you know, you have to just pick one and um, you, you can't like, you can't, uh, what's the word? Qualify. Um, qualify. Yeah. You have to pick one. Are we allowed to explain? I, I assume that we're allowed to explain our choice after we make it, right? Yeah. Are we going to do that after each item or are we going to like do the rapid fire because it's funny and then revisit it all after? Or what do you think? Okay, sure. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's do what you just said. Okay. Let's do rapid fire and then we'll go back through and justify our picks. Okay. Uh, so you've got a list and I've got a list. Yeah, and I'm real curious to find it. I bet we, I bet we have all, all the same stuff on our lists. Do you want to read? Like, you read your list first, and then I'll cross. <laughs> in anything <laughs> oh, yeah? that's a duplicate, I can just cross off my list, and then I'll read what's left on my list to you because my list is okay. Sure, yeah, let's do that because um, because I think you have a longer list than I do. So caviar overrated. Uh, Hamon and Birico. Underrated. <laughs> okay. Uh, lobster. <laughs> uh, it can't be underrated because it's... <laughs> um, I'll say... <laughs> it's so hard. I'll say it's underrated. Okay. So, just to recap. <laughs> Caviar was overrated. Hamon is underrated. Lobster underrated, you said? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Truffles overrated. Truffle oil way overrated. <laughs> Foie gras. Under. Dom Perignon. Overrated. Very overrated. Wagyu. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and overpriced. Uh, Wagyu. Hmm. Shale, I don't know if I've eaten Wagyu. Yeah. Um, I haven't eaten proper Wagyu either, which I don't think negates it from being able to be on the list. Okay. Like, necessarily like it's more about your perception of it Mm -hmm. in in cases where you haven't actually tried it yeah okay so that's yeah so big caveat i haven't had it so i but i would say like i'll call it overrated just because i've heard so much about it but have not felt compelled to seek it out to try it if that makes sense yeah yep saffron Mm, that's a good one I'll say overrated. Okay. <laughs> okay. I don't know. I don't know if you know about this one, but there's an episode. I believe it's of no reservations. Okay. I think. And he visits this chocolatier, I believe in Spain. And this guy makes chocolate eggs, big ones, okay. like, you know, bigger than an ostrich egg or about the size of a large ostrich egg. Okay. And then leaves them out in the sun 
for the tops of them to melt. <laughs> okay. Oh, I guess you don't know what I'm talking no, about. Hey? No idea. Okay, too bad. <laughs> Anyways, chocolate eggs with melted tops. Overrated or underrated? <laughs> Have you had one? <laughs> <laughs> I've certainly had melted chocolate Easter eggs, uh, but that doesn't sound like what you're talking about. So Yeah, no, it's like a chocolate sculpture made by the sun. It's this oh, really, really weird niche thing. Yeah, it sounds beautiful. Mm-hmm. Overrated. Just kidding. I don't know what it is. Okay. Uh, having sushi at Jiro. Hmm. <laughs> Obviously, have not done that. Well, maybe that's not obvious, uh, but um, yeah, I have uh, not. Well, it should be pretty obvious. <laughs> um, I like that guy. I like that movie. Uh, I'm gonna say overrated. Uh, just because how could it live up to the hype? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Manuka honey. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'll say underrated. <laughs> underrated. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Matsutake mushrooms. <laughs> uh, overrated. Um, oysters. Underrated. Okay, Alan, that's my whole list. <laughs> okay. Not very long, right? That's okay. Um, and so am I coming right back with my what's left of my list? Or Yeah, I think okay, so. And then we'll go through. <laughs> Shale, this is going to be a four-hour recording. <laughs> We're going to talk about <laughs> each of these 25 items and just knowing us, like, we're gonna no, it's going to be so okay. quick. You won't even know how quick it's going to be. Um, I What I recommend, though, because I'm not going to remember if I overrated or underrated something. Yeah. Uh, maybe just... Uh, yeah, I've rec- I'm recording. Yeah, I have it all recorded. Fantastic. Uh, let's start with one that I think... Like, I would I would wait... How much... O- Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but um, how much overlap was there? Only four. Oh, good. Excellent. Well, you had Dom Perignon. I was going to say sh- just champagne generally, but yeah, I'd say that's overlap. But... Okay, I want to start with one where I would bet, like if I, I if I could side bet with someone, I would bet up to two hundred dollars that I know the answer that you'll give already. Okay, uh, right. but microgreens. Hmm, microgreens. <laughs> I'm gonna say underrated did you I lose your bet definitely lost the bet yeah i'm shocked we'll get into it later we'll uh, get back to it yeah uh morels underrated uni underrated 100 percent. uh brioche overrated black garlic overrated uh, off-center plating. I don't know if you know what I mean. I mean, I, like, I yeah, I one of the hallmarks of, like, the new Nordic um, aesthetic is, like, the mm-hmm. asymmetrical or, like, completely off-center plating. Yeah, with, like, a lot of white space yeah. or something. Yeah. Overrated. Uh, creme fraiche. Underrated. Filet mignon. Underrated. <laughs> Uh, I know, I know, I know what you, I know exactly what you're thinking, and I think the same thing. But 
Um, I had a bunch of, uh, well, okay, uh, quail. Um, overrated. Handmade earthenware dishes. Underrated. Compressions. Underrated. Uh, Amuse-bouche. Hmm. Amuse-bouche. Underrated. Palate cleansers. Properly rated? (laughs) (laughs) I can't say that. (laughs) (sighs) Palate cleansers. Um... Overrated. Uh, liquid spheres. Overrated. Interesting. And what else? Let's say uh, foams. Um, underrated. <laughs> I think that's it. That's my list. Okay. Yeah. How do we di- how do we untangle all this? Okay. I don't know. So actually I I've watched people play that game before and it's mm-hmm. it's funny to see them squirm and um experience internal anxiety about how to answer. Um Yeah. But uh it's actually a lot This is the first time I've kind of played it and the what happens in your head is a lot more complicated than I expected it to be. Yeah. <laughs> like because no you're not you're not actually just answering whether you like it or don't like it. It's like you're thinking about what other people's perceptions of it are. Do you know what I mean? Like Yeah, exactly. You're thinking about your own perception of it and then what other people think about it and how they're like and whether, you know, like and how many people have opinions about mm-hmm. it versus, you know, like some things are like it kind of depends I think for me, a fair number of my answers, like were dependent on how pe- how many people are familiar with it. Yes, yeah. In my perception, so yeah, yeah, this is very interesting. So, and like to give you an example, when you said, <laughs> um, for instance, that filet mignon is underrated. Yeah, that really surprised me because, like, I love filet mignon. Like, it's a mm-hmm. it's great. <laughs> But to me, it is like so commonplace and and frankly so like accessible and popular. And if it goes on a menu, it will like in my experience, if it goes on the menu, it's almost almost always one of the most popular items. Yeah. And so to say that it's underrated is confusing me because it's like one of the most popular cuts of meat in a fine dining restaurant in the part of the world where we are. Right. And so like, you know, if you think about the popular perception of it, it's rated very highly. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I I really struggled with it, (laughs) but if you want, I can explain my justification or my, my thought process. The second best steak I've ever had in my life was a piece of filet. Okay. Like, you're right. It's very commonplace. And everyone knows about it and everyone knows that it's fancy food. Mm -hmm. And if you're, like, ordering beef, filet mignon is (laughs) la creme de la creme. (laughs) 
<laughs> you sound like a, a French person in a Disney movie. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, bad impression of a French person in a Disney movie. You know, like the the popular perception of it is that it's like a really, you know, fine cut of beef and it's like the best beef that you can get. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, most of the filet that you see is like, A, not the best filet. Like it's not like, I feel like this happens with a lot of so-called fancy ingredients like you get a low-grade version of it yes all over the place yeah because it's like very popular and it's you know and people want to eat it because they think that it's fancy you know and restaurants want to serve it because people think that it's fancy mm. but it also you know needs to fit the bill cost-wise yep. and stuff like yep. that and so you wind up with like you know the the popular version of it is like a really low-grade version of it mm -hmm. Um, but if you get like a really, a really, um, good filet and it's prepared very well, mm -hmm. it can be amazing. Absolutely. Right. Yep. So I don't know. The argument's a little shaky, but, but like, I think that for how good it can be and for people's perception of how good it is after having had it mm -hmm. in most cases, mm -hmm. I think that most people probably don't understand how good it can be. And so in their mind, it's like below where I know that it actually, you know, can exist it when it's in it, it's like, you know, best form. Yes. And actually I think that many of the items on, um, many of my responses, um, had the same thing in mind. So for instance, but, but right. it made me answer. <laughs> so my, my one example would be like, say um, the same thing with, especially where we live, caviar and truffles. Right. Like they're obviously they're, they're nowhere near as, as commonplace as, as beef tenderloin, but um, it's really hard to get really good quality truffles and caviar where we live. And mm -hmm. so the most, like the most common caviar is like the, the dyed blue lump fish caviar that you can get at, um, the Italian center. Obviously that's not what I'm referring oh, no, 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 to no, of course. caviar, but so, yeah. um, in the city of Edmonton, the only high quality caviar that I've seen is the Acadian sturgeon caviar that, um, some folks bring in. But the, besides that, the only place that I've had real and high-end caviar is basically in New York, like at um, Per Se and Russ and Daughters and mm -hmm. um, Le Bernardin. So I said caviar is overrated, but it's kind of like <laughs> caviar as an idea. Um, like if it's if it's the low-grade caviar that it, that we have access to, like obviously that is overrated if it's to be, if it can somehow be lumped in together with uh true mm -hmm. caviar, but like, yeah, my, my experiences with caviar in those fine dining restaurants where it's of a very high quality, um, like obviously I, I love it and it's delicious. And so I wouldn't say that that is, uh, is overrated, but yeah, it's a hard, <laughs> yeah, with the luxury ingredients, exactly. it's a hard line to walk the truffles too, especially like, you can get fresh truffles in Edmonton, um, like imported, obviously. Um, but to me, they're 
they're just they're nothing like having them in the place that they're from like the quality and the aroma right. and and they're fresh like within the last yeah. day or two yeah exactly and, yeah. yeah so it's it's unfair to even consider them the same <laughs> certainly with the caviar it's un, it's unfair to consider them the same thing um mm-hmm. because it is like different <laughs> different eggs from different creatures from different places um the truffles though even when they're in my experience the ones that i most of the time like even though they're imported from the source, like the the quality once they get here and are put on the plate is not the same usually. Yeah, I feel you. Yeah. But what about having truffles in Italy? Uh yeah, there's that's one of like two of my most memorable food experiences. Like if I were to make a list of certainly the you know, twenty-five or fifty most memorable food experiences involve truffles. And one is in Alba in Italy. Uh, that was black truffles and and actually one was in calgary um where they oh, really? at mercado um where i was working an italian joint um they imported fresh white alba truffles um and for 50 dollars you could get either a plate of plain risotto or plain tagliatelle with like just buttered i mean like buttered and yeah. parmigiano um with a very generous um shaving of the white truffles on top um and at the end of one of my shifts what's that 20 grams how many grams oh i have no idea actually it's very generous (laughs) and uh yeah so after a shift i think it was it was probably the first time that i it's certainly the first time i had tried fresh truffles um like i had had truffle oil at the end of a shift um sat at the counter it's an open kitchen ordered that watched the head chef great the <laughs> shave the truffles over top and yeah it was a really it was the first time i really like got i was like oh this is what they smell like oh this is the flavor this is what they're all about right. um the funny thing about say things like certainly the truffles i'd also put saffron in a kind of similar category where it's like it's a very distinctive aroma and flavor mm-hmm. but to me that doesn't necessarily mean that it's the best or always used appropriately if that makes sense like absolutely i i would say like like truffles i think are probably even more widely applicable than saffron mm-hmm. like saffron is a very distinctive flavor and aroma and like you know really you know works best in very specific applications mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it's, it's hard right it's hard to categorize it in that way because like you know if you're thinking about it as like, oh, you know, like something that's expensive and fancy that you use and you, and I don't know, you're using it to, I can't think of a good example. I mean, like it is good if you make rice with of saffron course, yeah, in yeah. it. It's like yeah. amazing. But, yeah. Or ice cream shale. What about ice cream? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Have had. It was kind of weird. Interesting to try anyways. Mm. Um, so what's the best approach here? Should we go through the list and, and like pick out the ones that we were like the most kind of, uh, that we struggled the most with? Sure. Or, or, okay. Or the ones that the other person said that really surprised us that would work too. Yeah, totally. Okay. I'll, I'll pick, I'll pick one out that, that was surprising for me. Okay, well, this one's kind of far down the list, but 
Why did you say that Manuka honey is underrated? <laughs> well, so part of that was that I didn't think that it was very highly regarded by like in the fine dining setting. Oh, well, yeah, that's not necessarily what I was referring okay. to. Well, yeah. so then I'll say it has very complex aromatics, uh, like very complex and mm -hmm. interesting aromatics that kind of sometimes remind me of like um, like camphor or, or cardamom and stuff like that. Um, right. And yeah, to be honest, I've not seen it used very much like on menus. And so that's why I said it was underrated. Huh. I don't know. Interesting. Have you seen it a lot I, used in restaurants? Uh, I haven't. I haven't seen it used uh, a ton on menus, actually. Mm -hmm. But I think that, like, I guess, like, what surprised me is, like, or my perception of it is that, yeah, it's like an interestingly flavored floral honey, mm -hmm. but it has like worldwide fame, mm -hmm. and it's like a very niche, like honey from it's australian is that right i'm pretty sure it's australian i yeah i don't know i for some reason new zealand popped into my head but I, yeah i'm, I'm not oh, okay. sure it could be australian yeah and i i don't know i just like it's it's very expensive mm -hmm. it's in like the fancy food aisle of like every north american <laughs> grocery store you can go into and buy a jar of manuka honey for like you can buy like 250 grams of manuka honey for like 25 dollars or something <laughs> just like absurd mm -hmm. and there are plenty of i you know like in most places i'm sure there are plenty of local honeys that offer maybe not exactly the same you know types of of flavor undertones but that offer like you know f like floral aromas or depending on what kind of honey they're like you know there's just like such a wide variety of honey everywhere right. i just don't understand how manuka honey blew up and then part of it also is that it's supposed to have these amazing health benefits yes. i'm pretty sure like um yeah so yeah, i'm pretty sure that dr oz probably sells it on his website <laughs> right. or something i'm not quite yeah. sure yeah. Um, but the whole thing just makes me feel like it's super overrated yeah um because you could get like amazing clover honey that's like from outside your back door right or something. i i do think that a like a a huge part of it's it's uh availability is because of yeah like it's it's the health uh crowd that gets it right and yeah like a like maybe even doesn't ingest it i don't know like rubs it on their yeah, body i don't know I don't either know. Uh, I, or just has a bubble bath with it or yeah, something exactly. i'm not quite sure um yeah so yeah, I was thinking in the restaurant context, saying that it's right. um, underrated because I hadn't really seen it utilized much. Mm -hmm. yeah. Fair, that's a good justification. Okay, you do you do one for me now, Alan. You tell you this make is me well, shale microgreens are underrated. <laughs> Explain this to me. <laughs> I mean. For, hold on, be sorry, before you do, can I say that, like, to me, microgreens are to chefs now and for the last 10 years or whatever, what <laughs> parsley was to the previous generation of chefs. Like, just put on a plate for a splash of color, even though it has nothing to do with what else is happening on the dish. And, like, it just becomes, like, this perfunctory, like, and how's microgreens on it? It Like, it's... Obviously, I agree. Okay. <laughs> Yet they are like underrated. Every word that every word that you said is absolutely true. Um, but 
because of that and because people's perception of and like which is you know like as you just indicated mm. um you know because people's perception of it of microgreens has fallen so far mm-hmm. because now it's just like green crap that someone throws on a plate yeah to make it look fancy mm-hmm. or something um i think that people miss what's actually good about microgreens yes. and why people why chefs and restaurants started using them as a component in their dishes in the first place mm. and used in the way that they're meant to be used i mean like like what's amazing about them is that they're this tiny little piece of food but they're packed with flavor mm-hmm. you know like when they're fresh and and also when they're grown properly they're like packed with the flavor of whatever it is that you know they're a micro version of mm-hmm. so like microfennel is like amazing and sweet and vibrant and just like you know like and what what else is amazing about them is that like you know for the most part it's fairly easy to keep them alive mm-hmm. like you're in the setting where you're cooking mm-hmm. and 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 like in most restaurant settings you don't get to cook with a lot of food that's still alive right and the microgreens you know because of their format you know provide that it's like it's a cursory bit of a live food mm-hmm. but you know like it, it if you cut them fresh and you use them right away you know i think that they can have this like punch of like like micro cilantro mm-hmm. or something like that can just have this like super fresh punch of cilantro flavor that you just can't really get or like you know if you're putting chopped cilantro in your dish well like that's another thing or whatever right. but you know like you don't get the same freshness and the same punchiness and, and you know mm-hmm. so uh, that's why i think they're underrated is because most people think that they're just parsley yes and but actually when you know when used properly uh, like they can really bring something fresh and beautiful to your dish. Yep. I mean, I agree. I, yeah, that's, it was kind of, yeah. Like we're getting back to just like the, the semantics, like in the different ways that you can think about what it means to be over and underrated. But so, yeah, I totally agree yeah. with everything you just said. And I, I think that probably there was a point at which, like, I think it flip-flopped because they got overused, mm-hmm. you know, like, I don't know if I would feel the same way if, you know, if like you weren't right in saying that microgreens are just everywhere and they're on every, you know, like they're wilted on every hot dish yes. that you get in like every fancy restaurant, yeah. like in a sad, sad way, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, if, if that wasn't the case, then, you know, I might be saying the opposite, but yeah, not, and not just like a problem with quality, but to, yeah, to me, the big one is like, oftentimes there's yeah there's no intentionality in their use and so like i've seen it a dozen times like a plate comes like we're working on a plate or an appetizer or something and it's like oh it needs something else and so you run (laughs) run to the urban cultivator and like get red veined sorrel micro red veined sorrel because it's really beautiful yeah and then they put it on the plate or you get micro mix right yeah to (laughs) me it's like the you know like that that's that's sort of like the worst situation is right. micro mix, yeah. you know, yeah. because what, you know, like then it doesn't taste like 
yeah. anything that you want it to taste right. like. Exactly. Yeah. But if you're using it to impart, you know, like a real like a real juicy pop of flavor yeah. in in a way that seems like super subdued. I like the oh, I got I got one for you, Alan. Overrated, underrated. Nasturtiums. Underrated. Yeah, and like I, I think that you know, like that it's a similar thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like if, if they're used in the right context, mm-hmm. like people, you, you put flowers on something, and people are like, "Oh, that's really fancy." <laughs> you put flowers on my dish, yeah. and then, but if they're used in the right context, then people taste them, and they're like, "Oh, wow! Mm-hmm. Like these flowers taste spicy, right?" And yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> You know, so you can really, you can elicit a reaction and, and like you can really provide more flavor to the dish. It's not just there, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like as decoration or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so, so yeah, the, I think the same can be said for microgreens. It's just sad the, the, you know, what they've come yes, to. Yes, totally. The reason, sorry, just to finish the, the reason that the, like the micro red veined sorrel bothered me so much because people are drawn to it because it's very distinctive looking. Mm-hmm. But, and I'm sorry, I'm thinking about um, the teaching kitchen, like uh, in culinary school. Um, okay. A lot of the students don't know what sorrel tastes like, but they put it on the dish. Right. And they, and then like, yeah. do you want the flavor of sorrel? Like, do you want like bright zinging acidity on your plate? Um, right. They think that it, yeah. Anyways, intentionality, yeah. purpose. Is that the flavor you want? Yeah, exactly. Like oxalis mm-hmm. or yeah, mm-hmm. is like on everything now, yeah, and it has right, yeah. like a real yeah. amazing flavor, and you know, it's similar to sorrel actually. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Tell me why you think that wagyu is overrated. Okay, for the third time, I haven't had it, so I don't. The reason first, Alan, just like tell me whether you had it. Or not. <laughs> Sorry. the 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 reason I said overrated is because it's kind of. It's got a really like sensationalized um, kind of marketing behind it. Um, mm-hmm. And honestly, like the way that it seemed like something so over the top and decadent, like even almost beyond foie gras kind of like where um, right. just the conversations around it, I didn't like really get me excited to try it. And so I haven't right. sought it out, but it could be that I have that first bite and change my mind. I'm super curious to try really good Wagyu, but I don't think that I'll ever have enough money that I feel mm-hmm. like it's worth spending on it. Mm-hmm. I don't know, like for, for actual, like real good Wagyu. Mm-hmm. I've been like, I've been kind of obsessed for the last, I don't know, I, like quite a bit over the past year uh, at watching um, teppanyaki videos mm-hmm. and like on YouTube mm-hmm. of these like super fancy teppanyaki places in Japan where they, you know, it's like a five or $600 lunch. Mm-hmm. And um, there's usually a piece of Wagyu involved. Right. And when I'm watching them cook it, I'm like, Oh man, I really am curious about how it would taste. Mm-hmm. Um, and what the texture would be like. And um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm fascinated with the idea of trying it, but yeah, I don't possibly overrated. Definitely overpriced. Yeah. That's what I was. I mean, probably not for like the, the, 
like for the really good stuff, it's probably not overpriced for the amount of money that goes into raising the animal. Right. Like I understand the cost there, but like also because of the way the market is about it and because of the hype about it, like, um, you know, you, you wind up paying like $400 for an ounce of it or something, right. you know? Like. So that's the, yeah. Like that's another kind of complicating factor in <laughs> trying, trying to just say over or under, um, like same with saffron, like, yeah, I love the taste of saffron, but like, do I want to pay $20 a gram for, for a spice? I mean, if it's worth it, then yeah, that's a person in the right context. Yeah. It's probably worth it. Yeah. Okay. You got one for me. Tell me about black garlic being overrated. Um, I mean, it's sort of like, I think that most of its renown is not necessarily based off of its actual flavor or texture, but just because it's weird mm-hmm. or something. Okay. Like a novelty. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's mostly about novelty and not necessarily about um, its flavor or texture. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I think it offers like a lot of umami, you know, mm-hmm. and there's, but I just, I don't know. I feel like you can get that in a lot of ways. And black garlic is, has turned into this like sort of, I don't know, like to me, the flavor that you get from it is like inherent in a lot of other things that aren't like really hip. Okay. Popular ingredients, like a lot of like fermented bean pastes and things like that have like similar flavor aspects, Mm -hmm. but never get talked about because they, I don't know, because they're, because they're too obscure or something. And I feel like black garlic was really obscure, Mm -hmm. but it's sort of had like a moment in the sun or something, but I don't necessarily think that it makes it that that makes it more special than it used to be or something. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I don't know. Like, I think when I was in culinary school, there was like a, a a black garlic uh, producer uh, hosted a, uh, a recipe contest or something. Uh And that was the first I had heard of it. And it, yeah, it got used a lot in Edmonton over the last 15 years or so. But I, I do yeah. think that it has, it, it's not just a gimmick. Like it does have a very nice and very distinctive flavor. Um, I, I quite like it actually. Yeah. I, I like it as a flavor component. Yeah. I just think that, yeah, like I, I don't think it says, I don't know. I guess I just don't think it lives up to that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. Someone brought us a sample of black garlic uh, to try to turn into ice cream. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was quite a while ago. It was a couple months ago, three, four months ago, maybe. And I still have it and I haven't turned oh, it into right? ice cream yet, sadly. Yeah. I could see it working. Like it has a kind of element of like dried fruit or something in the flavor. I, yeah. I could see it working. Okay. Hamon is underrated? Yeah. So this is my logic. I know it's not exactly the same thing, but like prosciutto is something mm-hmm. that most people like, not everyone, but most people, most of the time, the way that most prosciutto is sold in this country is pre-sliced in a plastic bag 
in a on a deli counter from a grocery store um and again like the difference between that and real jamon or prosciutto that's actually made that's actually made in those places of origin and sliced immediately like very thinly immediately before you consume it it's like not the same product at all and uh again like one of my greatest food memories is is eating san daniele prosciutto in san daniele in italy um and realizing like oh this is what prosciutto <laughs> this is what prosciutto can be and should be um and not the like kind of leathery almost jerky like um san daniele pre-sliced <laughs> prosciutto that you get at the deli counter yeah yeah it's um the 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 really deep savory kind of almost cheesy flavors of a good ham like that and the like it's a cliche i'm sorry but like the melt in your mouth texture you barely yeah. have to chew that kind of thing um it's a really yeah transcendent uh food experience and so for that reason i said it's underrated yeah underrated yeah probably priced correctly but feels overpriced yeah. i guess yeah is yeah something. Fair yeah yeah well i think in some instances it is overpriced oh like when I was in Spain, I feel like it was reasonably priced, mm-hmm. you know, often expensive, but reasonably priced. Mm-hmm. But, but um, <laughs> I'm going to tell a dumb story now. <laughs> I was in uh, I was in Harrods in London mm-hmm. and I was there with my sister and we were like looking around at all the fancy foods that they have. They Oh, my God. The liquor store in Harrods is like... <laughs> unbelievable they have bottles of wine and bottles of sparkling wine that are like 350 pounds oh really yeah yeah Yeah. uh sorry so they're really big 350 pounds they're really big they weigh 350 pounds sorry i meant to say (laughs) i meant to say 350,000 pounds (laughs) sorry yeah they have, they have bottles of wine in there that are 350,000 pounds. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On they have a bottles shelf. of scotch. And, yeah. On the sh- well, they're, <laughs> in bo- they're in cases. Yeah. They, they're in their own special little case. Yeah. And like there's like lights shining down from like three floors up on them. And right. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they have, and they have bottles of scotch in there that are, yeah, in the 150,000 pound range wow. and stuff. <laughs> Yeah, super rare bottles, and they just have them on display, and you can just walk by and be like, I'll take it. Somebody probably is going to buy that. <laughs> it just seems like the kind of thing that would be sold at an auction, not over a counter in a store. Yeah, totally agree. Wow. I That's pr- like probably, like I, I think the reason why they have them is because Harrods has this mystique for being one of the fanciest department stores in the world. Right. And so the Harrods probably buys things like that at auction, yeah. strictly just to display, right? Yeah, you know, so that it makes them look super fancy. And, and we talk in about most it. cases, if they're stored correctly, you know, the value of them isn't really going to go down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, they only get rarer, right. and they only get more expensive. So you know, even if they don't sell it for, well, I don't know, so, you know, some things. Like in the case of the Scotch whiskey, probably thirty years down the line, it's going to be worth more. In the case of the wine, it's probably a little more finicky. Mm-hmm. Like you have to sell it at the right time, probably. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Anyway, 
craziness. Anyway, so they have a deli counter there, and they had this um, Iberico ham. Mm -hmm. And I think it was, uh, I can't remember what the price was, but it was just like ridiculous. It was like $125 a gram or something. A gram. Like <laughs> okay. something like that. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, like in, like, I think it was like 10 times as expensive as the same ham would be in Spain. Mm -hmm. um, but because you're in Harrods, I guess. Right. Yeah. That's fine. I'm trying to think like I think And it was a very exclusive ham too. Right. Like it was yeah. from a specific farm and obviously yeah, totally. it was like, you know, only fed acorns and mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. But still that's um, uh, but, sorry, how yeah, much did you I, get? So <laughs> so I walked up to the counter and I was like, um, can I try that ham? <laughs> and, they <were> like, <laughs> and they were like uh, <laughs> we're not supposed to give samples of this, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, but I mean, like, you know." <laughs> and I never do this, right? <laughs> but I was like, "Yeah, but you know, like, I'm a chef, and I'm only going to be in Harrods for one day, <laughs> and you know, maybe you can just like give me a little sample." <laughs> and the guy cut off a piece for me. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it wasn't one hundred twenty-five dollars a gram, <laughs> but and and didn't like a a, a complimentary taste. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And he he thought it was funny that I would just ask for a sample, and I you know I just made it seem he like, was like I was you got moxie around. Like I knew he wasn't gonna give me one, right? But then he was like, eh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> he just like snacks on it all day, so he wasted it to him. Yeah, probably. And it was good, right? Yeah, I mean, it was as good as a lot of the ham that I had in Spain. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know, like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it was really good. It tasted delicious. It <laughs> tasted super nutty, and the fat was, like like you said, like so silky and just, like, dissolved right away. Mm -hmm. and, but, yeah. You can, you know, like you can walk through the market in Barcelona, a lot of the ham that you can get there for like, you know, a hundredth of the price. Right. Yeah. It is like, I mean, I don't know if it's as good, but like, you know, you get to a point of diminishing returns of course, for yeah. how good something is when it gets up into the like super exclusive. We only raise one pig every three years <laughs> right. and, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah. That one was, that one ham that I had a taste of was overrated. Yes. But in general, I agree with yeah. you. Cool. Uh, foie gras. Yeah. I said. I mean, I agree that it's underrated. Like, I don't, I don't know if there's much to argue about there. And it doesn't seem like, it seems pretty clear cut that foie gras is underrated to mm -hmm. me. But Yeah. I don't know what else to say about it, actually. Um like I know it has a lot of cachet, but it is mm -hmm. not something at least where we live and work. I don't feel like it's something that has been like overused. Like it's on, no. it's on menus every now and again. I don't know. Like, is it on contemporary menus now? I associate it with places like Hardware Grill 
Um, right. Like in Edmonton, the only places that I would have eaten it, I think, would be like Hardware Grill, Jack's Grill, maybe Madison's. I, I can't remember, but yeah. And I think in places like that, it it feels a little out of place. Like, oh really? Yeah, I don't know. I think that it's just there because it's a fancy ingredient. Yeah. I don't think it's like well incorporated. In fact, in most restaurants where it's offered, it's like offered as like uh, like as a side or like as an as like an add-on to a dish. You know? It's not like a dish that's it's that's made around foie because you want to highlight the flavor of the foie. It's like something that you put on top of of a steak that you ordered to make it more expensive mm. or something mm-hmm. in most of the cases that I've seen it being used in fine dining restaurants oh, like right? in Canada. Yeah. Um, you know, with the obvious exception being like places in Quebec, like mm-hmm. Joe beef and mm-hmm. Opier. Cause like the, when I like thinking to um, the hardware grill menu, and when we served it at Jack's Grill, it was always a torchon foie as an appetizer. Okay, yeah, you, you, like usually with with brioche and jelly or something, something like that. Oh, I want you to ask me about brioche. Okay, <laughs> yeah, I, like I think in situations where I've had it, where it's like you know highlight, you know, like it's the star of a dish or something like that, and it's the highlight, and they're doing something to support the flavor of mm-hmm. it. Um, then, you know, like, I think, I think it's, I agree. It, it is underrated. Mm. Like it is so, and when, when it's prepared properly, which is difficult, yeah. you know, and usually uh, this is the other thing that I find, like, usually it's a very small portion. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's hard to prepare a small portion properly, mm-hmm. like to be able to make the outside like crispy and caramelized and have the inside be like molten mm-hmm. and have the very inside still retain some of like the, the like pate like texture. Right. Like it's really hard to pull off and especially with a small piece, like mm-hmm. it, it's very like most of the time it's like kind of seared a little too hard on the outside and completely molten on the inside. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's like the ideal situation for it. Mm -hmm. When you were serving the torchon, was it just cold? You were just serving it cold? Uh, Yeah, most often. I think sometimes uh, it might have been kind of like brulee. I don't know if that's the right terminology, but but yeah, yes, it was cold. Yeah, that's probably the easiest way to get close to what you would want it to be like is to... Yeah, like brulee at the top of a cold piece, mm-hmm. like if you're doing a small piece. Mm-hmm. I had a piece, though, um, in Paris. Uh, there's there's a restaurant called La Comptoir. I don't, I'm not sure if it's still there. Mm-hmm. Um, probably is. I think it had... I think it had one star when I was there. Mm-hmm. I didn't actually go to that restaurant. I couldn't get in. But there's like this little like standing room only wine bar that's right beside it called Le Bon Comptoir. Mm-hmm. And like what it's supposed to be for is for people who have a reservation right. at <laughs> Le Comptoir. Um, you just go there before while you're waiting for your table to be set mm-hmm. and have like a few snacks. Um, but I went and it was like I went one evening and just hung out there like the whole night. And yeah, they had like a six ounce piece of foie. <laughs> on the on their 
menu mm-hmm. that was like it wasn't even that expensive. It was like all the food was like really reasonably priced in there considering mm-hmm. I can't remember what I paid for it, but it was like a big piece right. and it was like so beautifully seared and oh my god, mm-hmm. it was cool. amazing. <laughs> Best thing ever. Underrated. <laughs> Tell me about Brio Shell. <laughs> What did I say that it's overrated? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I mean, that, that's a hard one. I had a lot of trouble with that one. <laughs> Brioche is amazing. Yes. But it's so rarely as good as it can be yes. that I just, yeah, it's usually bad. Yeah. And in some cases, it's just not even brioche. Yeah. Well, like, you know, I would like, say two thirds of the hamburgers in Edmonton get served on quote brioche on a, buns on a brioche bun, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is clearly not brioche. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's the, that's the problem with brioche mm. is that, um, it's been co-opted. So it's, it's like been, um, almost like the, it's the term brioche has been misapplied. And so it's diluted yeah. the brand, <laughs> but like a good brioche yeah. is, is a good brioche. Yeah. 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 And I've had a good brioche and I've never really actually been able to make a good one. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Like I've tried several times and I've, I've worked in places where we had it on the menu and I made it and I, you know, like it was okay, but we were like, I don't know we were using it in a context where it didn't have to be. It's like most elevated self. Right, I see. Yeah. You know, like we were, yeah, like serving it with like an appetizer or something and we were taking slices of it and toasting them. And like, so, you know, yeah. like you can, you know, if you're toasting it and, you know, in the right context, even if it's not that great, it can still be pretty decent, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. yeah. But I've never made one like the best ones that I've had. Right. Yeah. Oh, I got a good one. Uh, Panettone. <laughs> um, overrated. <laughs> but but only because... But like same situation, right? In its highest form, totally underrated. Right, yeah, but, of course, yeah. But like when yeah. you buy bread in a box, like bread that was baked three months ago and then shipped across the Atlantic, it, yeah, it's not... Like the only... The Panettone or the Pandoro, like... If you buy that, you should be making French toast with it. Do you know what I mean? Because it's so dry. Or like using it as a base yeah. for a tiramisu or something. Like using it like lady I fingers. mean, uh, <laughs> this should have been on the Guilty Pleasures episode, but I actually really like box panettone. Oh, really? Yeah. Isn't it dry? <laughs> yeah, like the right ones. A lot of them are really bad. Yeah. Um, but there's like, um, there's a few that I really like. There's like one that you can get at the Italian Center mm. Uh, you know, when they have it or around Christmas time or whatever, when the, when, when like, uh, like a third of their floor space is <laughs> like just a, full of shelves that are big towers and like pyramids and ziggurats of, uh, yeah. Yeah. Of yeah, yeah. 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 Exactly. Ziggurats. Excellent use of the word. Ziggurat. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Um, but yeah, there, there's like, uh, there's a pistachio one okay. that you can get from there that I really like. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and so I was kind of obsessed with Panettone a little bit uh, this around Christmas time this year. Not that I made one. Mm-hmm. I started looking. I started looking at the potential to make one, mm-hmm. and I found. I think it's on Chef Steps. Okay. Uh, there's like a recipe for 
for how to make one and oh my god the ones that he makes like look so crazy yeah. and then he like the one the ones that he makes look amazing mm-hmm. but he was like basing his or like trying to get a similar result to um a place that's in new york i guess okay um that that like makes tons of them it's all they make i think mm-hmm. um and like the the texture of the bread inside this thing oh my god alan it looks just crazy it's just like the hugest it's not like tunneling but just like these amazingly huge delicate air pockets Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. like yeah they have to rest them upside down so that they don't like they have to hang them upside down while they're cooling otherwise they would just like completely collapse yeah yeah. Yeah. huh cool yeah pretty amazing Mm -hmm. i should send you a link to that video (laughs) anything else that you want me to justify alan Nobody needs to justify that oysters are underrated. Oh my yeah. God. Oysters are the best. Um, I was actually, I was a little surprised that morels are underrated too. Oh yeah. Cause I love them so yeah, much. Fair enough. That's fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. I do find like after truffles, they're the most famous mushroom, right? Yeah. Isn't that fair or no? Or like the most famous fancy mushroom. Or, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I that's think- what I mean. Yeah. I understand what you mean. Yeah. I find like so often when they're used in restaurants here, they have, they are dried and they have very little flavor. Oh yeah. That's sad. So that's why I like, I would have said that they're overrated, but I mean like I love them, but I feel like they have such a, um, such a name for themselves. Are they really the most flavorful mushroom though? Oh no. The most flavorful mushroom is pine mushrooms, Alan, which you claim are overrated. Yeah, I didn't know what to do with that one. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, are they the most flavorful? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, like, sorry, going back to morels. morels. Um, you know, like, are they the most flavorful? Like, I don't think so. Maybe sometimes they are. Like I've had them be amazing and I've also had them taste like pretty just like plain mushroomy. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's like the context that they're growing in or something mm-hmm. like but when they're really fresh and you treat them like really delicately and you know don't overcook them and don't like you know I mean, they, they can be amazing, like, in a sauce or something, too. But, like, when you just, like, you know, take, like, nice, big, beautiful specimens and, like, they're clean and you just treat them really simply, mm-hmm. uh, man, I just, yeah, I think that they're amazing. Mm-hmm. They, like, because they, you know, have that, like, weird texture and that weird look. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I just think that they're super flavorful and they're surprising, I think, in their texture. Mm-hmm. So Okay. Can I add, so I kind of like at the last minute added some techniques to my list. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Let's go through some of the techniques. I had asked you about foams, compressions, and liquid spheres. So all to me, that's the modernist modernist stuff is like very much in your wheelhouse. And so I was, yeah, curious to know what you would say. And I was surprised actually, but so tell me, tell me yeah. about foams. Tell me about compressions, actually. Okay. Well, compressions, I don't think, I think in most cases, they don't, they aren't done properly. Right. And when they are done properly, oh, like, actually, I got a great story about pine mushrooms. 
um, and compression. So uh, when I was living uh, in and around Vancouver and cooking, Mm -hmm. uh, I went to a restaurant called Fuel, okay, uh, which was in Kitsilano. Um, And the chef's name is Rob Belcham. Mm -hmm. And he has owned several places. He owns several places right now. Um, I don't really know him very well. I never worked for him or anything. Uh, But uh, he was friends with a chef that I was working for, a friend of mine. Um, And uh, his restaurant, Fuel, was like doing crazy food. Mm -hmm. And they were, you know, they were trying to do like really over the, like take really amazing over the top ingredients and then just apply like crazy techniques to them and just like, you know, really like jack up flavor and, and like sort of um, level up uh, sort of like, I wouldn't necessarily call it modernist what they were doing. Mm -hmm. It was more like it was, uh, I would say like more along the lines of something like um, Joe beef, like doing things somewhat traditionally. um, But, you know, like really pressing the technique to like elevate the flavor and stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, I had a dish there. Uh, where they took pine mushrooms and compressed them with uh, pine mushroom broth. Okay. Um, and I think they cooked them sous vide maybe for a certain period of time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, man, it was amazing because like the mushroom starts out very porous and then you take the same, like they had like condensed broth that they'd made from the off cut mushrooms mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that they had when they received their like case of pine mushrooms yep. and then yeah sealed sealed it in a bag and used compression to to like force that flavor back into the porous mushrooms mm-hmm. and it was just like so aromatic and you know completely altered the texture but like in in a like if you like some kind of like oyster mushrooms if you kind of don't cook them the right way they can get a bit rubbery mm-hmm. And I think that it's a similar situation with pine mushrooms. Mm-hmm. Um, but like this was just like very tender and like and meatier because it was like all sort of like full of the um, of the mushroom broth that they had compressed back into it. And it was like really amazing. Yeah. Um, and so like if you're using compression to like reflavor an ingredient and change the texture of it in, in a way that like, um, you know, gives you a different experience with it. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think if it's done properly and I don't think it's it, like of those modernist techniques that you mentioned, I think that it's probably the least overused. Oh, is that right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It probably is a little bit overused. Um, but, but like compared to, yeah, like compared to spherification and foams, as you put it, <laughs> like I would say that. What's the, what am I supposed to say? Not foam. You for those of you who can't see Shale right now, he said foams and made air quotes. <laughs> made air quotes. What's the proper? Well, what the am I reason. To call it? I don't know. The foams is correct, oh, okay. but but like foams also involves a whole bunch of things that you wouldn't really consider modernist foams. Oh, like a meringue. Is that what you mean? Or yeah, oh, okay. like a meringue yeah, yeah. or whipped cream. Yeah, or, yeah, fair you enough. Know, like yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, anyways, yeah. Compression's compression underrated. Yeah, more people should use compression in simple but effective ways to make the make like the products that they're serving 
taste better. Mm-hmm. You know, like, um, I mean, like even even like marinating meats under compression right. is like, you know, yeah, yeah, is kind of a game changer. I'm, and you don't really can you don't really consider that compression necessarily. Like right. when you're thinking about like the idea of what the compression technique is, yes. it's usually like vegetable. It's usually some kind of porous vegetable, and then the compression is used to like compact down the porousness of yes. it. Yes, and that's what but I was I picturing like, when I asked. Yeah, 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 totally. I really want to try. I've been this summer sometime when there's really nice watermelons, I want to do a watermelon compression with Uzo. Oh, cool. Um, I was thinking with that. You remember we had that Greek staff dinner yeah. years ago? Um, I do remember. And in, we grilled octopus. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, and in, in Greece, often like the dessert at, at tavernas or restaurants is just like they just bring you sliced melon like they, like you don't order it it just comes to you and that's your dessert and often they'll yeah. bring either ouzo or raki or some kind of spirit like that and so i i would really like to do a watermelon compression with a bit of ouzo cool i have a chamber sealer at work if you yeah. want to swing by sometime with a melon <laughs> Sounds good. let's do it up with a melon and an ouzo 12 yeah exactly some afternoon <laughs> Yeah, and then spherification I said was overrated. Is that right? Uh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um yeah, and I, I think that's just like the reason why I would say that is because most of the time it's not done well. Okay. I have had some like amazing spherification dishes. Mm-hmm. I went to a restaurant in Barcelona called Tickets. Oh yeah, yeah. Um which yeah, which was uh, it's um, Ferran Adria's brother's restaurant, mm-hmm. uh, Albera Adria, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like this weird concept restaurant that's sort of like supposed to be like a circus, right, yes, <laughs> or <Yeah>. something. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, like the the modernist. It, not not every dish that I had there, um, I had a lot of dishes. Like it was all like small plates, and yeah. I had like twenty dishes or mm-hmm. something. A lot of the dishes weren't necessarily using modern technique, like modernist technique. Oh, is that right? Um, yeah, like I would say maybe a third of them did, and like the other two thirds were just like really amazing examples of like food that you can get in the region. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they had a they had an olive sphere that looked like a perfect like little green olive, oh, yeah. and then when you put it in your mouth, it like the like the sphere spherification skin that was like holding it in place was surprisingly like barely there um, for how tight it kind of looked in the spoon. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then it just like exploded in your mouth and it tasted like just the most amazing, like, I mean, not fresh olives, like brined olives, Mm -hmm. but just like this beautiful, fresh brined olive flavor, like Mm. uh, so hard to describe. Tasted like some of the best olives that I've ever had in my life, but concentrated into this like amazing liquid that just like completely fills your mouth in an instant and you just get like all this beautiful flavor. So done right, it can be an amazing experience, Mm -hmm. but in most cases it's not done right. In most cases, you know, like it's, it's made as a garnish and the flavor is kind of an afterthought or something. Yeah. And the experience of having it is a little bit of an afterthought. I find, but yeah, to me, like it's a, uh, it's something like I've not really, I, 
it's not something that I would ever put, well, I would be unlikely to put something like that on a menu that I wrote mm-hmm. just because it, like it has nothing to do with, like the actual technique has nothing to do with flavor. It has a, a bit to do with texture, but mostly it's like about some kind of like whimsy or presentation idea or, yeah. um, so th- which is fine. There's a time and a place for that. And like a place like tickets, like is, is doing that. Excellent. I haven't eaten there, but I've seen the, I think there's a chef's yeah. table or something about it. Um, yeah. so it makes sense for them to do it. I, that, that's one reason I would like, I'm not keen to, I would like to know how to do it well, but it's not really my style if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. And yeah, I mean like it's definitely not my style anymore. I have worked in places where that is the style and I've, I've done stuff with spherification as components on dishes before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and even stuff that I thought was reasonably good. Um, but, but yeah, like for the most part, it doesn't get done very well and it's not really about like the flavor and it's not really about providing a surprising experience, which I think is one of its strengths, Yes, you know, like, um, you know, it, it just winds up about being, it, it just winds up being about like providing some novelty usually. Yeah. You know? and not necessarily much in the way of, of flavor. Right. Yeah. Um, and then like foams are in a very similar category. When you talk about like a lot of the light, like modernist light airy foams, mm-hmm. um, I've had like several foams in lots of different restaurants in lots of different contexts. And most of them were bad and had like practically no flavor mm-hmm. except the flavor of the air that's inside them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so like to do them correctly, you really have to find, you have to use something that's like so flavorful that even once it's like, you know, so like spread out and like so dilute with air, um, it still like provides enough flavor that it's like interesting, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And in most cases that is not what winds up happening. Mm-hmm. To me, like, <laughs> I don't know if this is, tell me if you agree, like foams, became kind of like the poster child of modernist (laughs) like if someone wanted to take a jab at modernist cuisine like they would say like these kids and their foams kind of thing is that a fair statement yeah i think that's a fair statement that's kind of what i what i know of them yeah um but like i i can honestly say i've not like i don't often see them on menus and i don't recall like seeing even at very high-end places i don't recall seeing them on menus very often in the last Mm -hmm. i mean there was definitely a period of time when i was eating in like fancy restaurants in vancouver where they were on like a fair few dishes yeah yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and we used them um we used like um uh, when i worked at the blue pair in edmonton Mm -hmm. we used foams on a few things Mm -hmm. um as garnishes mostly we were trying to do them with like really intensely flavorful things so that they would add something. And most of the foams that we were making, uh, we were um, using soy lecithin as a stabilizer Mm -hmm. and then whipping them with like a little frother or something like Mm -hmm. that. But there's like, it's actually like a really broad category. And then like in the category, it also bumps up against things like, um, like whipped cream and stuff like that. Yeah. Like if you, like a lot of, I think, you know, like a lot of the foams in a lot of places that were doing modernist stuff were also coming out of like 
whipped cream siphons, right. just like with us using different things to stabilize mm -hmm. them and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Um, you know, and then if you just keep adding fat to that, well, the, so the hollandaise that I was making, um, when I was working at district, um, and at a few places that I've been at, um, I've been, uh, doing hollandaise with a whipped cream siphon. Right. Yeah. And so like, you know, what is that? Is it hollandaise? Is it a foam? <laughs> I don't know. Like it, it's like easily dispensable hollandaise that has a lot of air in it. Right. Um, and then you try to pack it with like a little extra acidity and a little extra fat so that it, you know, like even though it's like light and fluffy, it still has like a flavor impact. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but yeah, like, I don't know, like it's definitely hollandaise, but yeah, it's, you know, probably in the realm of what modernists like what would be categorized as a foam in like the realm of modernist cuisine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Anyways, modernist cuisine overrated, <laughs> <laughs> but not foams and compressions. They're underrated. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, whipping cream, like whipped cream, sorry, whipped cream is totally underrated. <laughs> like it's so good. It's funny, I was thinking just today, because I had a bit of heavy cream in my fridge, I was just thinking about how cream, <laughs> heavy cream, as it's sold in supermarkets in North America, I think is overrated. <laughs> like it, because it does not have very much yeah. flavor at all. I could even make, maybe say the same thing about our butter. Like, yeah, they're like gl totally glorified in classical cuisine. And it's like a cliched thing that people will joke about like oh just add more butter and it'll taste better but like mm -hmm. generally the like the mass-produced dairy where we live is pretty bland yeah but it but the non-mass-produced dairy where we live is pretty yes. amazing yeah, totally but yeah you can get good dairy here yep it's just that most of the dairy is most of the dairy is just government dairy yep. and it's not that great I mean, it's good that we can get reasonable quality dairy that's safe to have and everyone has access to it. I like that. Yes. Um, but yeah, it's kind of boring. Yeah. It's a little overrated. I was going to say, say overrated if you would. Yep. <laughs> oh, overrated. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Overregulated and overrated, <laughs> two different things. But <laughs> did we hit everything? No. <laughs> uh, there were, oh, I mentioned two courses that you would find in a fine dining restaurant, the amuse-bouche and the palate cleanser. Oh, right. And you said that amuse-bouche um, are underrated and that palate cleansers are overrated. Yeah. Okay. So the reason why amuse-bouche are underrated is because it's so nice to get something unexpected at the beginning of your meal. Mm. And you, you know, like you, you haven't ordered anything yet. You've sat down. Maybe you don't know that there's an amuse-bouche that's going to be presented to mm. you. And then just like suddenly, as soon as you sit down, someone's, you know, bringing you this nice little bite of food. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just like a great experience. Yeah. And it's like, it's done so exclusively in high-end restaurants, but it, it really could be simply and thoughtfully done in much more casual places too. 
Um, yeah, totally agree. Almost, and I've been in some like reason, like relatively casual places where they did that. Yeah, and it's just like this little, you know, it's just a nice little thing that they do for yeah. you. It's, you know, <laughs> it's sort of like getting olives when you sit down at a bar and exactly, order a drink, and they yeah. bring you some olives. Yeah. Like, it's just a nice thing. Or, and this is, I'm not saying this is an amuse bouche, but kind of like at Daddio on white, you always oh, yeah. get little little biscuits tiny biscuits and, and jalapeno jelly. Yeah, just like a little, like not like a side of biscuits, just like a little taste. Yeah, you sit down, you're hungry, you haven't ordered yet, and then suddenly there's yeah. biscuits at your table, and you're like, oh you're, yes, this is great. Your disco lemonade just came. Your sweet Georgia Brown is on its way, and then you oh get... my god, Alan, you know the whole menu <laughs> off by heart. So yeah. sweet. Yeah, I like those. Um, and palate cleansers are overrated. Yeah. I mean, I like palate cleansers and I like to make use of them. And I think that they are useful, like legitimately in the middle of a meal. Mm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like, I feel like the perception of them is very fancy. Yeah. And like, to me, it's more of like utilitarian or something. I don't know. It's kind of poncy. Like it's. Yeah. Um... Yeah. Yeah. It can be. I mean, like, I think that it can really serve a purpose if you think about it and do it well, mm. but. That's like everything that we've been talking about. I agree. It is Ponzi. Have you ever been served a palate cleanser that wasn't a sorbet? Like something that's presented as a palate cleanser, but is not a sorbet? Yeah, I have. I've, um, uh, like, I've had, uh, I can't think of exactly what it was, but I've had palate cleansers that are like, uh, a shot of liquid oh, okay not necessarily an alcoholic beverage yeah. but like juice or something like that <laughs> but yeah like that's still sort of like in the same realm yeah you know like like yeah. when i think about actual utilitarian palate cleansers like when people have to do a lot of tasting mm-hmm. it's usually like starches that they're taking between like you know what i mean like white bread and crackers and stuff no yeah i i, I totally understand but I, I think it's serving a different purpose like i think in the case of most like palate cleansers where they're used properly it's because you've just eaten something really rich yeah. and it's there to sort of like um like you know hopefully the dish that you're eating is like balanced in some way but you can still have a rich dish that's balanced. And I think that like a palate, a palate cleanser when it's used properly is there. You've just eaten something really rich. It's there as something fresh and light to sort of like to take a bit of that richness away Mm -hmm. and prepare you to consume something that maybe the next course isn't going to be quite as rich or something like that. Buffer it kind of, or like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's not there to clear your palate so that you're, so that you have a neutral palate for the next dish. It's there as a component really to the previous dish to sort of like help, you know. It just seems like something that, like I like sorbet palate cleanser. It just seems like something that regardless of what it's, like if there is an element of it like literally cleansing your palate or or yeah, doing something to assist in the flow of uh, a multi-course dinner, it seems like something that could, yeah. there's a lot of room there to do something different like yeah right yeah totally anyways i don't have any ideas off the top of my head but even like crudite i don't know (laughs) what like i don't know yeah it'd be some it'd be fun to play with that's all yeah yeah i think like you know 
kind of like a perfect palate cleanser that would be like really simple might just be like citrus segments or something like that you know like oranges yeah just like uh orange supremes like yeah or even like yeah uh a little spoon that had like a lemon supreme and an orange supreme in it or something so it's like not too sour Mm -hmm. but or a lemon supreme with just a little bit of sugar on it or Mm -hmm. something like that i don't know it sounds really sour (laughs) (laughs) yeah but i had actually um bet unless it was a meyer lemon oh well uh ben chalmers had a dish at jack's grill that i think it was a it was like a seared piece of cured salmon that was served with a citrus salad that it was all supremes and it was like like just a small salad but it was mostly oranges and grapefruits but then just a couple little uh supremes of of lime um and maybe lemon too just like the pops of the more aggressive acidity but it was nice yeah the last two that i had asked you they were like when i was thinking of um well basically yeah i was thinking of some of the the hallmarks of new nordic style uh and so the right. the off-center plating and the handmade earthenware dishes right uh the, which you said the off-center plating is overrated and that handmade earthenware dishes are underrated yeah who doesn't like handmade earthenware <laughs> dishes they're Alan? gorgeous they're, they're... <laughs> beautiful <laughs> i don't understand yeah. what we're talking yeah. about here <laughs> they're handmade somebody's creation yeah, yeah. someone poured their blood sweat and tears into crafting this beautiful plate and you know for you to enjoy your food off Mm -hmm. of my sister won a handmade pie plate um from erica box oh really with a pie in it yeah erica made the plate Um, as well no uh, i can't remember the name of the person who made the plate erica did not Mm -hmm. make the plate i'm pretty sure um but yeah it's a beautiful like white uh pie plate that has like what what looks like um it's got like these tiny black flecks in it kind of looks like vanilla okay like yeah vanilla bean like yeah yeah it's really nice man it's the nicest dish we have it's so beautiful (laughs) and what kind of pie came in it a cherry pie um which uh we uh my mom loves cherries so uh and it was my parents anniversary Mm -hmm. like i was saying previously uh, or like I was saying earlier. And um, yeah, so Erica baked my mom a lovely cherry pie. Cool. Yeah. And there was way too much food at our dinner and barely any of that pie got eaten at that <laughs> night because everyone was just so stuffed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I took it to work the next day and it got demolished. Cool. So um, yeah, off-center plating, you know, <laughs> whatever it's a trend it's a fashion thing i don't know i'm not really super into fashion so yeah it's interesting just because yeah it's uh food generally and certainly the way that food is presented and the visual aesthetic um is so trend based and it's just funny that something as simple as like i think for many many years culinary students are like actually told like it needs to be centered or like it needs to be right just back of center or whatever it is um and so something so is just simple. like a shitty reaction <laughs> yeah, exactly. to everyone having to go through cooking school and put their food in the middle of the plate they're like yeah. 
now that I got my own <laughs> restaurant, I'm going to put my food on the side of the plate. <laughs> exactly. But it does like I. Re- <laughs> I don't think that's exactly what it is, Alan. I, I I do think that there are some beautiful artistic presentations that I've seen that employ that type of plating mm-hmm. technique. But yeah, no, I but understand it, what you're it's saying. funny that like yeah, maybe that's not the exact sentiment behind it. But it's funny how something so simple it really like the first times I remember seeing it, it was very like oh <laughs> like it's yeah, it's like whatever the, the food is two inches yeah. to the left, who cares? But like it actually like. Yes, it uh, it gave me pause. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But, you know, like as far as something that people should look at and be like, oh, that's something that I should copy because that's going to make my food look fancy. Right. Uh, yeah. No, just come up with a different idea or something, you know, do what looks good for the dish that you're plating yeah. And, yeah. and has the right amount of. Yeah, has the, the right amount of froofiness for like <laughs> the context that you're serving the dish in. Right. right. Like, yeah. Yeah. You run into a lot of like plating disasters where you're in a really casual place and then something is plated like in a way that makes it seem like overly intricate and it's just kind of like, oh. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. That's actually, <laughs> I've got a picture I can show you. Um, when, uh, for feeding kids something we've talked about and returned to a couple of times oh, yeah. um, and trying to get them to enjoy new things. I have had some ideas. Right, like when you cut their grilled cheese in a triangle and stack them on top yeah. of each other and they're like, <laughs> well, I've done some really silly ones. Like, like I'll Cora maybe is having like whatever carrot sticks, but I plate them as a Paul Nuff, like st- like three stacked on three stacked on three alternating direction yeah um or i def- <laughs> i invented a style of present oh yeah okay so it's um if you can picture slices like thin wedges of red apple and yellow pear and the pear is much longer like the apple is more like rounded and the pear is longer right because of it's elongated top Mm -hmm. so i'll press them up against each other alternating apple pear apple pear apple and it looks like a bear claw so it's like the the long parts of the pear sticking out are stick out and those are like the claws yeah exactly and then the apple kind of like is more rounded and sticking up and so i've got a picture i'll I'll show you but that's uh that sweet can't wait that was uh that went over well Ooh. Yeah, that's sweet. Genius, Alan. <laughs> Dad win. We eat with our eyes. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Still gotta look good. I might not be much into fashion, but the food's gotta mm. look good. Otherwise nobody's gonna want it. Thanks for listening to Food Court, a podcast recorded in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Food Court is hosted by Alan Sudeby and Shale McDonald. Theme music by Ryan and Shale McDonald. Make sure to subscribe to Food Court in Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or in your favorite podcast player. We love to hear from our listeners. Please drop us a line at feedback at foodcourt.fm or find us on Instagram at foodcourtpodcast. If you want to spread the word, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'll be back in two weeks with a fresh new episode. Thanks for listening.